for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Last week, the pitfalls we talked about were pretty much about us as a hunter. Our techniques, strategies, thoughts, and practice habits. This week, your coaches are back in the house for the third and final part of the series. Tonight, we look at the mistakes we feel a lot of first-time elk hunters make in the area of equipment, calling, and scouting. Now, don't you worry. This series might be over, but I'm plenty sure we'll be making plenty more mistakes down the line just so we can help you guys out in the future. Tonight, we wrap it all up. The first-time elk hunter mistakes and pitfalls. Those topics along with our elk bro shout-outs. And tonight, our EBD segment. So, my friends, pull up a chair and adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello again, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas coming to you from Spring, Texas, and from New Mexico, your elk hunting coach, Joe Gillia. And I think we got the Venezuelan Mafia in the house, too, from Katy, Texas, Mr. Luis Gonzalez. <laughs> What's up, boys? Hey, hey. <laughs> no, yeah, that reminds me. So since you brought up, I'm going to hit this first, the Venezuelan Mafia. I get a letter from Richard Strait from Lincoln, Nebraska, and he's all, someday 
you guys need to give some history on the Venezuelan mafia. <laughs> it may be a long story. <laughs> and he was, and he was like, maybe it's a subject for one of them Ornelas Unleashed. <laughs> oh man, well, I think that, we could get I think there. The Unleashed sure. is needed for sure. <laughs> well, you know, just so that uh, I, I'm going to put one thing out there, and so I don't harp on this too long i got a little housekeeping to do but uh, i just i just want our listeners to know that uh, when i first met luis we're going on our fifth season together so it was a little over four years ago coming into elk camp and uh this guy just blew me away i mean just his whole attitude um how much he loved being out there it didn't matter what was going on with the elk it was just the total experience and i knew right then that that was somebody i could spend some time with and uh, in fact you remember he had that dog on machete he brought a machete oh brand new and every Venezuelan's time has <laughs> got a guy he's got to have a machete dude That's especially the us. mafia right and That's right. Nickname, <laughs> do you remember that Gilbert? every time i would oh, stop dude. and he's like is something in the way do i need to get yeah, my machete get my machete out <laughs> you guys didn't believe in the power of the machete dude the machete look man i like a machete but i don't like a dull one man you got to have one that's sharp dude, this one was able to break the knee of, a, of an elk <laughs> when we were actually skinning it so. he was like you a guys little were kid, like it's man. not gonna cut it He's like a little kid. I tell him, no, no, it's all right, dude. It's all right. I mean, I don't know him from Adam at this point. I'm like, no, no, dude, it's okay, man. His little lip would come out like that. Not true. And then there was that spot where your trailer couldn't get by that bush that was out there. And I said, uh, hey, Luis. Why don't you get that machete? Oh my gosh, man! He was like, so <laughs> like a rat on like, a I got this. Brother. I got this, guys. <laughs> He's been a with a big old pine tree this big around. <laughs> Luis, we need the machete. Got you, babe. Got the job done. Got the yeah. job done. But the thing that I wanted to say is because at this point we don't know Manano, right? And Luis is hunting with us, and you know, in the evenings and stuff, he'd go over and be making phone calls, and he'd go over and be making a phone call, and I was like, man, that's pretty cool, man. This guy's calling his wife. And, and he's talking to his <laughs> wife and everything like that. And come to find out, he's talking to a dude named Manano. Exactly. <laughs> right? And I was yeah. like, oh, man, these guys are like best friends. These guys got to be really, really tight. Well, then Manano just comes. making him jealous. <laughs> then Manano, <laughs> Manano comes exactly to camp with them. And, and I was like, so this is the first time I meet Manano. And then they come in there. And, man, these guys are like. The odd couple. I had arguing back and forth about this and that and yelling and talking and calling each other names. I was like, oh, dude, I guess he brought somebody else with you. <laughs> That's just the way we express our love. Look, man, have it any other way. Either. I'm going to tell you about Latinos, dude. My grandfather was a straight up redneck boy. God rest his soul. But he went over to my dad. My dad's from Monterey, Mexico. He uh -huh. went over to my dad's house and them two brothers got outside cussing one another. <laughs> and, uh, and then the dad got in the middle of it. My grandfather, uh, Mario uh, Davila, and they got into it and started hollering at one another. And my grandpa said, I tell you one damn thing. If they talk to me like that, I'm whooping somebody's ass. <laughs> and I ain't taking all that. He said, that's horrible. And they talk to one another, man. Get up in each other's face and point their fingers and everything. Uh-uh. Dude, so I, we had, I had so just we became... shot an elk. I had just shot an elk. 
and they're behind me. I'm like, the animal's still right around. They're behind me arguing about where the shot hit. And I'm like, whoa, dude, be quiet, man. <laughs> oh, dude. We became the you. entertainment at El Cabo. 100%. Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the food and entertainment. Oh, I tell you man, we, man, we, we got did it all. And, and so, the entertainment. So we're definitely going to have to talk more about the, the about the mafia and that relationship because it, it's just. Uh, I remember one thing you said, Joe. When we, man, that trip in his first trip in was really tough. I got oh, scars was, uh, on my yeah. vehicle to show it. So at the end of the day, uh, we got in there, and I mean, when we got to camp, he slammed the door and he told Joe. He said. Joe, I don't care if we ever see an elk. The adventure we've had getting in here was well worth the wait. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> said, I'm like, they're like, he's like, Gilbert, are you going to go hunting in the morning? I'm like, heck no, man. It's like one in the morning. I'm going to bed because I said, it's going to be rough. If you do this tomorrow, it's going to be rough because you ain't acclimated. And, uh-huh. But I'm going to tell you, he wouldn't have missed it for the world. He got <laughs> up, went out. And now he knows next time you go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I, I did learn my lesson. <laughs> All yeah. good, man. Oh, some All some good. housekeeping things for for our listeners sure. out there. Um, y- y'all, we want to tell you we get a lot of letters, and let me tell you, if you send a letter to Gilbert, it's just Gilbert at Elkrose dot com. Luis is Luis at Elkrose dot com. Uh, no, no, I don't know if he's figured out how to set his up yet or not. Uh, but <laughs> he has and not. Chap, Chab is chab at elkrose.com, and I'm just joe at elkrose.com. And we get a lot of letters, and let me tell you what, we answer them all. So, um, look, if you sent a question, comment, or joined our elk camp, or if you're a, a, a Patreon, if, if you came in and you became one of our patrons on our Patreon page, I have emailed all of you thank yous and comments and welcome letters and if you have not gotten it please be sure to go and check your spam and make sure that you're getting things from the elkpros.com domain for some reason um i i it you know if you have gmail or something anything like that for sometimes it'll just spam that and you know gilbert i i <laughs> I thought I was done with spam, bro, and it just keeps pulling me back oh, in. Yeah. I know it. I know it. <laughs> so uh, that's that's pretty much uh, what I want to say. So you guys make sure that you're getting our our emails. If if you have emailed us and you did not get something back, please check on that or email us again uh, at our elkbros.com so that your email will uh, accept it. All right. Yeah. Always, always, guys, thank you for all that you're doing for us. But please rate, subscribe, review us on uh, Apple Podcasts and YouTube. You know, if you have any other questions, please send them in to info at elkbros.com. We'll get you up here and get you talked about for sure. Make you famous, baby. <laughs> I don't know about that, but we'll be talking to them for sure. <laughs> right. Give us feedback. Well, it only helps us grow. That's yeah. right. Well, guys, you know what time it is. Shout it's time for the Elk Road Shout Out. Shout Out. So, these are just shout outs to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week, Joe. Yep. Up list. Up, up list. Up first on our list. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those days already, man. This Pennsylvania <laughs> borough at the end of Pittsburgh's Penn Street is the birthplace of, and I don't know if you guys remember when you were in school this, and, uh, 
I don't even know if y'all read magazines, but <laughs> it was a birthplace of Scholastic magazine that was established in 1920 as a newsletter for high school students. It later became Scholastic Publishing, publisher of the wildly popular Harry Potter books right here in Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania, topping our charts this week. Man, I hear that elk herd keeps growing up there too, Joe. Pennsylvania and Kentucky, boy, I hear it's growing. Yeah, you know, uh, we talk about that a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, if you're in Pennsylvania, some of you guys, send us some stories. We'd love to hear about it. No doubt. Send us some pictures of them big old farm elk that y'all are growing down there. I'm telling you, <laughs> I, I've seen a few. It's it's pretty cool. Joe, next up, known as Town and toilet paper capital of the world, the first splinter-free <laughs> toilet paper was produced here. And there is no way you can hear this city's name without thinking about football. There's the smallest city that hosts the National Football League's team. Founded in 1919, their 13-time national champions are the only NFL team to be owned by its fans. The that only is one. Green Bay, Wisconsin. Green Bay, Wisconsin. The man. cheeseheads in the house. <laughs> and you know what? I got to love Green Bay. And, I, you know, I love football, Gilbert. Me too. I love Me football. Too. But, buddy, to not get a splinter in my butt when I'm using toilet paper. Oh, <laughs> <Lord, laughs> mercy. You know, I, I think toilet paper. Wow. You know, your wisdom, it just continues to surprise me. The way you paired up toilet paper with Entitled Gilbert. And, uh, <laughs> That's for unleashed, baby. <laughs> yeah, and the man pawn. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Here we go. <laughs> Luis, you're up next. All right, man. How about my singing skills here? Oh. Take me out to the ball game. Oh, oh so this, <laughs> this We just lost all of our lists. Uh, hey, you know, or <laughs> you may have gained a button. <laughs> so uh, this song, if you, everybody's familiar with it, it was written here. This is the first, uh, uh, the first marketed sliced white bread, uh, Wonder Bread, was actually born here. And the largest NFL stadium in the country, um, Lucas Oil Stadium, resides here too. Oh, and let's not forget the Speedway, which is the largest sporting facility in the world. Indianapolis, Indiana. Indianapolis in the house. Yeah. Indiana, fellas, man. Thanks for listening. Indianapolis, yeah. Indiana in the house. Yeah, they say no that doubt. you can, you can Next put up, Joe. Go ahead, buddy. I'm just saying they were talking about that, the, the speedway there. They're talking about how uh -huh. you can take some, all of those largest facilities around and put them together and they wow. would fit inside that speedway. It's huge. Inside of Indianapolis? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I've never been. I've never been. I've always wanted to go to one of them. I've been to a couple NASCAR events, but never been to the Indianapolis Speedway. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the black sheep of the family out of North Carolina because I'm not this huge NASCAR fan. I, I, they're, they're wondering if I missed a gene somewhere. <laughs> you were born without that NASCAR redneck gene. You got the rest of them, but left the NASCAR back. I guess so, man. Next up, Joe, named for the Luna family that owned the land grant where the village is located, this is the home of their beloved Tigers and now also home to Facebook's newest billion-dollar data center, a 2.8 million-square-foot campus that will contain 
a total of 22 data halls, right? Data halls mm -hmm. of servers and wow. related equipment in Los Lunas, New Mexico. Las Lunas. Oh, I was yeah. going to say, yeah, yeah. It's got to be it Las It has Lunas, to be Las, right? right? Yeah. Cause it, yeah, for sure. Las Lunas. Las Lunas, New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, home of the Tigers, man. Las Lunas, uh, uh, big shout out to all you guys there. Big, uh, big shout out to my New Mexico brothers and sisters down in Las Lunas, just south of Albuquerque down there. Um, you've got uh, Valencia, Berlin close by to that. And for Facebook to have selected Las Lunas to put that data center was just huge for New Mexico and huge for that community, man. It's Boost just up in, in the economy for sure, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. Okay, last but not least is the youngest city in Nebraska. We're always talking about old stuff, old this, old that, back in the day. At only 52, it's younger than many of its residents. The sweeping view of the floodplain here led to the city's name, which means the view in Spanish. But here, guys, is really the interesting story. This is how the city began. A developer named Decker built 335 homes on 80 acres here in 1959. Each of these homes were referred to as the House of Nines because they sold at the time for $9,999 in 1959. Wow. A person could buy one for $200 down and $99 a month. But but <laughs> if you didn't have $200, you they'd work it out with you so you could also paint the interior of your newly constructed home any color instead of having to make the down payment. Wow. So, but here's the catch. <laughs> The homes were uninsulated, so they were cold in the winter, Oof. hot in the summer. Some had no furnaces, mm. and air conditioning was a luxury, y'all. Uh, oh, but that started this whole place in La Vista, Nebraska. La Vista, Nebraska. Yep. Wow. Cool story, man. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Homes for $9,999. Oh, man, put me in, boss. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'll, take, I'll take two. <laughs> no kidding. Spend the rest in blankets. Yeah, no, yeah, no doubt. Spend the rest in blankets. Well, you you sure. figure, okay, all right, nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. No, that's nineteen fifty-nine. You know, yeah, that's, that's a lot that's of still, cash. That's like still a chunk of change, now. but yep. you know, I mean, shoot, I'm I'm plugging it into the wall and shooting that puppy full <laughs> if I have to, man. So yes, sir. It's a great story. No doubt. Yep. All right, guys, time for our main topic. Let's dive in. The first two parts of the series have been blowing up, brother. Yeah, um, most definitely. I, I'm really, really pleased at the amount of listens that these have been getting. I mean, the downloads and people hammering this are, are typical of in-season, like when we're in the actual hunting season when yeah. people are listening. So that means there's a lot of people out there that – are really trying to pick up everything they can, soak it all in, and uh, trying to flatten that learning curve. So good for y'all out there, man. We're, we're, uh, we're glad to see that. And we're going to try to give you a little bit more information. I, and I tell you, one of the huge things, uh, Luis, has been the fact that it's helped so much to have our resident greenhorn here because <laughs> just the questions and, and when we start getting into actual situations and when you bring up something, you're like, I didn't get this or why this, um, that's huge because there's so much that, uh, that we take for granted after doing it, it almost becomes, you know, 
just normal to us. So uh, people really enjoyed that. So that, that's been a huge plus. Awesome. No, thanks. I, I, I love participating and it's hard because, you know, I'm, I'm, as I'm doing the podcast, I'm, I'm learning and listening from you guys. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it's an honor and, and I'll continue to try to ask the questions because, yeah, I, I still have questions every day when I listen so, to you guys and the the first area man uh you actually inspired this you, you and manano inspired this man. because i i, I it's broke 100 percent true though <laughs> i broke these down into some areas and i broke them down into equipment and these are common mistakes or pitfalls people make with equipment calling and then scouting and we're going to talk about each of those but the the first thing i put in the equipment man was <laughs> I, I think it's so <laughs> that most guys, when they come out, uh, they carry way too much gear and way too much weight. Uh, I've never done that. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Gilbert, <laughs> I went to go pick up those guys' pack one time, man, and pulled my back out, man. I was mm -hmm. like, what the – I think they were carrying – Well, that's an age thing, so let's not just, you know, let's just <laughs> – <laughs> oh, yeah, they started to sit back and one rolled backwards. I mean, they couldn't even counter the weight. It is just incredible. Joe, no, you're absolutely not right, Joe. <laughs> that's that's one of my biggest issues. And 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 I am terrible at trying to keep my back uh my back my pack light. I'm terrible at it because I just look at everything in it and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm potentially going to need this. I'm potentially going to need that. And, and, and look, the truth of the matter is nine times out of 10, I don't. And, and that's why you guys are probably best to talk about this. But yes, this is a huge mistake when you're up out on the woods, walking the amount of ground that we cover 10 to 12 miles, uh, up to 15 miles a day, you're going up and down the hills. Look, I'm a flatlander. Right. right. Uh, I go up in the mountains, 8000 feet of altitude. My oxygen, my, my lungs are not working the same. And to be that heavy and on top of that, carrying your bow, it's just it's not easy. It's hard well, and it wears it's like you carrying out another person. Man. Quick. Yeah. Yeah. Renato gives me crap about this all the time. And I hope he doesn't listen to the, this podcast, but this is really actually the only time he's actually right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it pained him to say that, guys. I'm going to tell yeah. you that straight up. You know, the first time I felt his pack, I was like, oh, dude, what do you have in there? I'm like, I don't understand. Well, I got this and I got that. And I'm like, leave all that here, man. Joe's got all of that. You know, yeah. if Joe's guiding you. He's got everything you're going to need. And at the end of the day, I mean, I could understand having a few more things if you're solo or if you're guiding or something like that. Right. Man, right. When, you, when you're ha when you're with a guide, he's got ninety percent of everything you're gonna need. Or even with a partner, man, you guys yeah, can actually talk about who's going to carry what and mm -hmm. kind of food, water, mm -hmm. food, water. Food, water, food, <laughs> and water. Okay. And for are, Gilbert, in that order. Yeah, man, absolutely, one hundred percent. And and you know, a, a a cleaning pack where you you know, everybody's going to be successful here. We're going to knock us an elk down. Sure. We're going to have a cleaning pack, and and then look, man, nature calls. So again, got to have you some baby wipes with you. That stuff will set you free. <laughs> So, so, but Joe, you, I mean, your, your pack is, is super light, man. And, uh, you know, and you always seem to have the essentials. So, I mean, I, 
love to hear from the both of you. His pack ain't Your light, bro. Yeah. What are you, who are you trying to fool, man? I don't know. <laughs> no, he, I mean, his up, pack man. is lighter than mine for sure, Ooh. though I, that's easy yeah, to do. Yeah, but you got three but... clips of a 10 millimeter and I mean, all kinds of stuff with you, man. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's that's one Air thing. Spray. Like, oh, yeah. They're, yeah. They, <laughs> when they walk, they jingle, man. It's like yeah. there's stuff swinging. Yeah. Yeah. There, was a, there was a movie about one of those guys going out into the woods. I can't remember. I, what the name of that was and with john candy or something like that going out into the woods and just kind of reminded me of that (laughs) but i you know a lot you do some of the stuff that a lot of guys do is they become they be you know they become gadget guys you know they Mm -hmm. they see these things and oh yeah man that would be really great and you know i need my survival knife and you know and i need my flint in case uh you know, I need mm-hmm. to make a fire and Bear Gryllis has this and those other guys walking barefoot have that. And, you I do know, have a great lighter, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you yeah, got your money back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these guys were out with them dug on $40 jet lighters and, and they pulled it out and uh, those things would, it wouldn't even light, bro. It was like, so <laughs> Manano pulls this out. Oh, let me show you. Let me show you like that. And he goes... <laughs> His doesn't light. And I said, I pulled out my little 99 cent Bic lighter. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And I changed lighters after that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, but you, you know, got a whole pack of them in your bag, bro. Got to have a backup. <laughs> you know, it, 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 and it's a common thing. I mean, uh, half the fun is the preparing for the hunt. No I mean, yeah. that, that's a big part of it. And but everything's less is more, have, man. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, guys, less is more. I mean, you're hunting. Some guys like to have binoculars and stuff like that. For me, I don't need them unless I'm guiding or if I'm, you know, I'm hunting with a buddy and he's up. You know, I mean, we have those talks, too. Who's up? You know, who's who's the guy on in the front line? Right. I mean, right. we really out, you know, especially if we're working with with each other. So, um you know, and like you said, Joe, have that talk before y'all leave camp. Hey, what you bring in, those kind of things. That way y'all don't have to be, you know, going in heavy. We want well, to come yeah, out. Because, yeah, that's right. You want to come out heavy. And, exactly. and and the thing that you have to remember is when you are coming out heavy, you got to carry that crap as well. You, I mean, you got to yeah. do the animal plus your pack and all of that yes. stuff. So, uh, you <laughs> One know. One thing I would tell guys is to put that stuff in your UTV. You know, that way you have it accessible. It's at least where you're going to be or your vehicle or whatever, you know, carry you a a box in your UTV that's got all that stuff in it that if you need it, you can make a a short trek. Sometimes it's a long trek back, but at least you got it accessible. Well, and a lot of guys aren't even, you know, it depends on what they're using as their mode, you know, as far as that goes. But, you know, food and water, y'all, you know, I, I, I don't like to carry water bottles. I like to carry a water system, hydration system. I uh, put a liter, maybe a liter or a half in there. I'm I'm different because I'm from the hills. For you guys, you got to have a little bit more water. I, I would say if you're going to carry extra weight in anything, carry it in water wow. uh, because food and water lighten as you go. So mm-hmm. that's something that's going to disappear, man, and it's going to run through you. So it's it's going to happen. So uh, I, I tell you to have your nutrition, have your water. And, you know, the reason you got to be careful about weight is because weight plus high altitude equals 
tired legs, which yeah. <laughs> tired body, and that makes a tired mind. And that's when you start making mistakes and you start mm-hmm. losing focus and you start getting in that. I mean, if it's day four, day five, you start getting that negative attitude and that all mm-hmm. ties back to it, man. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and a lot, I see guys, you know, carrying big giant knives with them, man. And I, mm. I can usually tell somebody has a lot of experience hunting, uh, because, uh, or hunting elk, uh, because of the size of knife they carry. I mean, they've got something that's going to be able to get up inside a cavity. That's going to be light. That's going to be sharp. And even if they got to carry three of them, they can ha- have three knives to one big knife on there so i like to carry a little tiny light sharpener that you can use your kill kit doesn't weigh anything toilet paper doesn't weigh anything uh there's there's a lot of stuff now you start carrying and and there's guys in a lot of those western states that you know they're carrying a pistol or something like that that's you know that adds a little bit of weight i i don't know how much i don't don't a lot lot. i regret it i i left it back at camp the first after the first day yeah and I mean, because I'm in front of you. So as long as you run faster than me, then you're in good shape. I got shape, a Chav right? with me, bro. Chav, <laughs> Chav can run off any bear that's alive. <laughs> straight up, bro. Hey, bear. They don't want no part of Chav. Well, <clears> you <throat> know, you. and there's some places where there's grizzly bears. So that's a whole different thing. I guarantee you, oh, yeah. you know, Luis would not have dropped that gun after day one in, in, in mm. grizzly country. But no, sir. Exactly. He'd be with me. Yeah. I'd, endure, I'd endure carrying it. Yeah. You know, so out here, I'd rather to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. Out here in New Mexico, it's a little bit different, and uh, a lot of the those, big you know, raccoons. Yeah, they, <laughs> and anyway, so that's that's one of the things that I I think a lot of guys, you know, they make a huge mistake on you know, putting way too much, you know, layer up in the morning, whatever you're going to wear in the morning, I guarantee you before you leave out, you can take off one layer before you start. Because Mm -hmm. once your body warms up, that first one's coming off. And, you know, so just wear your layers so that you can put them on the pack. That's all you're going to need to layer back up. Uh, Manano, Actually, he has a piece of gear that I had never carried before that I carry now religiously. I love it, and uh, it does not add any weight, and that's that uh, hammock. That hammock. Yeah, yeah, that extreme lightweight hammock, and it's just super for out in the woods, man, yes. when you take those midday naps and to get off the ground and stuff. Yeah, so, uh, yeah I love it. But I, I think that's – I think that's if, if you guys are listening <coughs> and you have all these gadgets and gear – huh? It's good if he brings one for everybody. Next time I wake up and somebody's hanging in a hammock, I'm cutting it down. I'm bringing my sharp knife. Hey, Beto, it's got a weight restriction, bro. That's all right, Pop. Ah. I guarantee I done sat in that thing before. I'll be a lot lighter when I get to hell camp. Hey, Especially after spending 10 days with you, son gun. But I got to say something, though. There is a high level of pleasure when I – when Manano needs something in the woods and I have it. And I, There's no doubt. You know, and so, so, so the listeners know I keep a list out in the woods and every time Manano asks me for something, I write it down and he absolutely hates it. Of course. So imagine, it, it, I mean, it takes him everything he has to be able to say, okay, Luis, can I please borrow your knife? Or can I please borrow your, this? He got to be really Yeah, he, you can tell yeah. that he suffers when he does that and I oh, enjoy yeah. it so much. So anyway. So I would say Manano's almost a minimalist. I mean, he, yes, he is. You no. Know, 
he would rather do without and have you know just the things that he needs um but uh, uh sometimes i think that's not a bad way to lean as long as you're doing it so that you have what you need to get back to camp to you know to take care of your animal and take care of yourself you know uh so that's uh that's pretty much on the equipment there the except for there's one thing that I, that we have talked about before and i'm really huge on two things finding and eliminating possible failure points and one of our goals is and we got t-shirts coming out that says this two holes that is our goal to to take that animal and place that shot in the best location possible get a pass through and drop that animal as quick as possible two holes man so uh and I think one mistake that happens from new hunters that come out here is they come out to hunt elk. Now, deer, uh, other animals, other critters, I think they're great for it. But for elk, I highly recommend not using mechanical broadheads. We don't have them in our camp. And and we're telling you this because one of our bros, man, uh, and we've talked about it on other podcasts. You probably heard it, but you know, mm-hmm. a mechanical broadhead can. There's two things: it can fail, and uh, it does what it's designed to do, which is to go inside an animal and open up. And when you talk about a big, strong animal like an elk, that means that there's a good chance you're not going to get two holes because sometimes it's hard to get two holes with fixed blades. Oh, no doubt. I, you know, Joe, you hit the nail on the head with that. I want guys to understand some. Are there are there elk taken with mechanical broadheads? Yes, Absolutely. there are. Absolutely. But let me tell you something about most of those guys that are shooting mechanical heads at, at bull elk are shooting bows that have kinetic energy capabilities above 80 pounds. Right. And when I talk about 75 to eight to 90 pound kinetic energy uh, opportunities, that's, you know, you hunt Cape Buffalo with that. Right. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, you got to understand your capabilities. If you're shooting a 60 pound bow and you're not, you know, a 28 inch draw, 27 inch draw, you don't have the KE that it takes to punch a mechanical broadhead all the way through a bull elk, much less even a a fixed contact fixed on, you know, fixed, fixed blade. Mm But right. at the end of the day, you're severely hamstrung about penetration. And in and, and no doubt we want two holes, but we want both lungs. Right. And if you get That's both right. lungs, we're going to kill him. I don't care if you poke another hole exactly. in it, you're going to get him, right? Right. Um, at the end of the day, just most guys don't shoot the kind of equipment that it takes to shoot a mechanical broadhead. And I've been experienced, experimenting with them all year. I shot several pigs and I shot a deer this year with a mechanical head. Flawless. I mean, absolutely flawless. Killed them, killed them quick. I mean, it opened a big hole up in them. But when I shot the pig, the pig ran off with my, with my broadhead and my bow. It did not go all the way through. Right. Right. So I'm, you know, I'm telling you, pigs are litmus test for me. If you can't blow through a hog with it, you're not going to blow through an elk. I promise you. Well, and and people have to remember the the two holes. 
is not only to put that animal down and to put it down as quick as possible, track it, but track. it's also for tracking purposes, right, to yeah. ensure that you're able to recover that animal. If I have yeah. two holes, then I've got blood coming out. Something <clears> that's <throat> going to help me a ton. If I end up with one hole and somehow that hole gets sealed up or that arrow stays in, now recovery mm. now gets harder. And our goal, again, is we want to recover that animal uh, and and that's one of our, our big deals. So, so, yeah. um, and I've seen it firsthand, you know, what happened to Chav and, sure. uh, I felt horrible. I mean, it opened up prematurely and hit a twig you know, and opened only, up prematurely. Yep. Didn't yep. even get in the chest cavity. Got yep. about two nope. inches of penetration. And I mean, it was in the pocket, Jack. I'm talking if he's shooting a, a any kind of punch cut or fixed blade, mm-hmm. he's going to get at least one lung. Maybe both, both of them for sure is in the pocket. You know, when I seen the arrow hanging out, I thought it was hanging out on the opposite side. And then I got to thinking about the math in my head and I went, Ooh, man, that's the side he shot him on. That's not good. Right. So, and it, that's what happened. It hit that little limb and opened up prematurely. A, a big philosophy of mine is keep things simple. Yeah. The more that you keep it simple, the, the less there is to go wrong. And yeah. it's just uh, something that I have seen with these animals. I've been around it too much and, and I've seen too many of the other type of hits. So that's, when the bully killed last year or the year before, he blew right through him with that fixed blade broad, broadhead I gave him. So, right. As a new hunter, uh, bow hunter coming mm-hmm. in uh that was one of my biggest questions is okay so broadhead uh fixed broadhead mechanical broadhead what are the benefits of one the advantages of the other you know pros and cons mm-hmm. and uh so did a lot of looking online and trying to figure out okay w- w- where where are we with this because there is is a big debate in the industry too as far sure. as what people sure. you know it, people swear by one type and the other People swear by the other, and I think sure. it's a pretty 50-50 split as of where it stands now. And now they have the hybrid, the hybrid ones, which is partially fixed and then you know partially mechanical. Right. Uh, but you know, I think to sum up what you both said, you know, and the way I kind of looked at it was, look, the mechanical has the potential failure of opening up prior to hitting the animal, which is going to make it terrible for when it hits the animal, it's not going to have the penetration necessary. It also, to me, loses momentum once it enters and opens up. Correct. Um, you bet. So those, those are the two things I see negative with the, with the mechanical. With the fixed, uh, with the positive with the mechanical is that it, has, it flies a lot better because it has, you know, it, it behaves more like a field point. But that is if you always practice with a field point. So if you practice with your with your fixed broadheads, then you don't have to worry about it flying differently. How um, many times have you ever seen me shoot with a with a field? Never, board? never. And that's and that's why I bring it up, right? So and then the other advantage of the uh, mechanical is that yes, you get more cutting area because you have the ability to expand once it gets in and it cuts more. But if you don't have the two holes like you guys are saying, then that blood is just limited to coming out of just one hole and not maybe all the way through uh, from one side to the other on the animal. So, you know, everything you guys are saying to me, it's summed up to shot placement, practice with your fixed broadheads and ensure that you have that, you know, a, a shot placement to where you can actually get the two holes for a better tracking job. So. Yep. Find possible failure points and eliminate them. Agree. You know, that's just where um, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, guys, th- this is a, a, a subject that'll be debated till the cows come home. Oh, yeah, but sure. I'm just giving my personal 
uh, right. experience in experiences that I've that I've had. Look, I'm not one to shun any kind of new technology or anything like that. I work in an industry where it's driven by technology, right? Sure. But when I see something new pop out, like I saw the new Muzzy Hybrid pop out this year, I went and bought me three of them. Uh-huh. And I went and shot them at some pigs and deer and stuff. I, I wanted to see how they fly great. They opened fine. They didn't have any issues. Would I take a elk hunting with me? No, I wouldn't because I kill every elk I shoot at with what I'm doing right now. And it works, you know, it's a proven performer, just like you, Joe, why would you want to shoot anything else other than the equipment that you've been shooting? I mean, right. you're some odd years and rolling it. I tell everybody, if you want to kill an elk with a bow and arrow, shoot a wasp or broadhead that it works. I mean, yeah. I got a guy that I know that's killed 30 some odd bulls with a dead gun wasp broadhead. <laughs> how do you, how do you not, understand it but look i mean you shoot a a very powerful bow you draw an extreme amount of weight so you can punch that thing through there a guy that's shooting 52 pounds probably can't get that punch cut to work as well as you can so it's really about your setup you know and do your homework on your setup right and like i said all you know uh, i'm not telling people not to use mechanicals that's not what i'm saying i'm saying you know, do what you do with your deer and all those other critters. But mm-hmm. on this one, I'm just telling you, if as a coach, if yeah. I want to make sure that my athlete's going to go out there and perform to the best of their ability yeah. and I don't have to worry about failure of equipment, that's yeah. how I do it. Me so too. let's go to the next area is going to be on calling. And uh, when I think about that, I, and I think about here. Uh, when <laughs> here we go. Uh, I, I think the biggest mistake is a, a lot of people – you know, they get this idea in their head that you go out and call. If there's an animal in the area, they answer you. And it doesn't always happen that way. Just Many times be- we walked up on a bull, Joe, and we called to him, he didn't even lift his head. Well, or he, he ain't saying a word and he's coming in. Exactly. You know? And that's the thing that I want people to understand is, is just because you don't hear elk does not mean that they're not responding. They can respond in a lot of ways, man. I mean, uh, a, a bull early on, because we do hunt a lot of early season, a lot of those guys, when they when they hear that and they're bachelored up and stuff or uh, they're starting to rub and they're starting to, to display, they might be coming into you quiet, coming in. Uh, they could be thrashing on a tree or especially early, you might get a little, you know, just like that. And it's not that loud pitch bugle. Uh, you might get a, 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 a bow call, which a bull making a cow call and, and it doesn't carry as far. So there's one just, time one made a sound, sounded like a monkey. You remember? Oh, <laughs> I told you, chuckling? I was like, no, man. I, yeah. But, but it sounded like a monkey. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, that's him. That's that chuckle, yeah. buddy. Yeah, and and you know a lot of them do that a little bit differently. Some will just oh, yeah. do like a a three time chuckle. One will just kind of chuckle a couple times, and uh, someone will give that little that little gorilla chuckle, you know, yeah. there. And uh, best thing ever happened to me. I got into a chuckle off with about three bulls in a big park, and I mean, we went at it for about twenty five <laughs> minutes. It was the most awesome thing I've ever done in my life. I actually got better doing it because I had them responding to me the whole time and they were not happy with me. I mean, I was imitating every chuckle. They would go right back. I mean, it was cool. Chav got to see that. 
Well, I, what I'm telling guys is, is okay, it's okay to go out there and to call and to do that stuff and try to get a response because half the battle of killing an elk is finding an elk, right? And 100. so, you know, when, when they give a, a, a bugle back to you or they chuckle back to you or they give a call back to you, uh, you know, that's great because now you got something located. Now you're in business. But what I'm trying to tell you is, is, you know, if you're moving along and you're calling and you're calling and you don't get a response, a lot of guys are like, well, there's no elk in the woods. And a lot of these people are not paying attention, number one, to the ground, to the sign. Mm-hmm. They're not paying attention to the smell with their nose. And, and I'll tell oh, yeah. you, Elk have a very distinct smell. It's something that I really like. It, it's something that uh, it, it smells really good to me. I like a musky uh, flavor or yeah. something. It, it's, or smell. Yeah. Early almost on like in, in, the, in the season, they have almost like a licorice yeah. musky yeah. smell. Least, yeah. And then it becomes a little bit more stronger musky smell. It can get real close to cattle urine at times mm-hmm. if you ever smelled cattle urine. Uh, mm-hmm. For those of you that haven't, uh, go find your cow and smell you some urine. And it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty doggone close to that. But I think a lot of guys don't pay attention to what's going on around them. They just figure, yeah. okay, I've seen people call in. I got to go call. If they're not answering, there's not an elk. And that's a huge mistake. It's a huge mistake because one of my favorite techniques early season, and you've been with me, Luis, man, when we just going through an area that I know is a transition corridor, just cow calling every now and then moving slowly. And we've had bulls come in silently. Yes, to us, right. Um, and my directions to the guys that are with me, because we were in a group of three is my directions are, all right, I'm looking to the front when I'm cow calling. I want you guys looking off to the sides when we're moving because, yeah, because they're going to try coming in from the sides, man, when they catch up to us. Because elk move in their own time. They move in elk time. They don't move in human time. So Mm. when you're, if you are in a situation where, you know, uh, you're not hearing a lot of bugling and you slow down, you just do some cow calling as a technique to sound like a group of elk moving through a feed area. It might take some time for some of those satellites and stuff to move into you. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just because they're not responding, don't think that they're, they're not there necessarily. Right. Pay attention to other things. Um, I, I think another mistake is that most people only think that you have to call at or challenge a bull, all right? Uh, they're always, it's always a conversation where you're trying to engage that animal. And they don't realize that probably one of the most effective calling techniques is in representing your own gathering, telling the story, creating the illusion of, an elk rut parade happening in another place, man. Mm-hmm. In other words, you kind of like, it, it's kind of like that, that click in, in, in high school, man. Uh, you know, when people talk to you, you're kind of like, yeah, 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 like that. But when they start ignoring you, you're like wanting to know what's going on over there. And you, you do that. You just kind of act like they are non-existent and like you have your own thing going on. And it is a huge successful technique to do that. You right. will have elk. Look, if you challenge at a bull, most of the time these animals are going to circle 
because you're channeling, they're going to circle to that downwind side, and they're going to try to scent check, and they're going to try to see what's going on. You can get an elk who does not like to go uphill that uh, is coming from a distance to come in straight at you to go up a hill when they think that they're having to get in on a party they're missing out on. Mm-hmm. And Makes I, sense. I, yeah. Seen it happen. <laughs> quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, both techniques at, used at the right time. You know, if if you see a bull with a, you know, that he's got his own cow and he's interested and he's pushing away because he's worried about you coming and taking his cows. Well, forget that, man. Start having your own. And how many... I don't know if you guys have ever had the pleasure or remember it happening, but I think, Luis, you, you've been with me on an episode where you will hear some bulls cranking off, uh, off to one side. And, Gilbert, I know you've been with me when we've heard me? this. Yeah. And then you'll hear another group off, and then you hear another group, and it seems like they converge. Oh, yeah, the you know? perfect storm. Yeah, yep. because it's it's almost like, uh, you know, uh, a gathering that ends mm-hmm. up happening mm-hmm. that they each group knows that they have their own cows and that their that bull is protecting his group and it's not the same threatening they're all going to the same water or they're all going to the same feed area and that happened the very first trip uh with uh, we, you and i and and tucker were together going up that hill and that's the day that uh they gather at the top and that's right that's where at chavin and 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 gilbert where we heard them in different areas and they just kind of were congregating gathering to the very top uh so yeah exactly that what you just said yeah they it, it it's it's different i mean just think about it this way if if you're out with you with the your uh your date somebody that you just started dating and uh, you have another guy and, and his date come over and start talking to you. That's not very threatening. But, man, you see three guys standing over on the side of the wall over there, and it's like, you know, what are you looking at? You know, you, you <laughs> kind of start moving out of the area there. So uh, it's just something that I want guys to think about, that it is a huge technique. And what I like to do in that situation is I make it sound like that party's going on. And then once I've established that, I start doing a little bit of a lost cow in between. Mm-hmm. And man, now those bulls are like, whoa, man, so girl, <laughs> hey, <Blending> girl. fruit, <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Um, and and I would say probably the other mistake. I pro- and I don't want to harp on this too much because I don't want guys that are just starting out to get too complicated. But you do need to understand what you're saying when you're calling and why you are saying it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have a bull that is uh, sounding real timid and, he, you know, he because you've done a couple of cow calls and this bull sounded off and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, the bull sounded off, dude. Man, I, I've been practicing this, man. I've been practicing it since the end of last year to now. I've been listening to this podcast and you go up in there, I mean, you give that big old screaming, loud, angry bugle at that guy, and and man, it's like he just shuts up, right? Because that he's not he's not in that mood. He's exactly. not in that state, and you, you just yeah, man, you just like the guy came in and he's kind of like, hey y'all, and you went over there, smack, yeah. <laughs> you know? 
yeah, so but, but for first timers though joe uh-huh. I, I agree with what you're saying but it you know it can get very complex because it turns out there's really a lot of things that you can say right. if you really know elk language right but sure. for first timers out there i think if if you really master your location bugle That's something it. that is not extremely aggressive uh-huh. and then just a good cow call i think i think you can get started to where just you know keep it simple and and yet able to communicate and 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 keep them engaged i mean i think with those two for starters is is just a great foundation so here's what i'm going to tell you luis and you should totally get this you just mentioned the other day that um you knew all the words to the guns and roses song I, yeah. and and, and, and when, didn't when you know came, what they meant and, yeah. and you had no clue what you were talking about right right, right. okay but you could per, you could say Produce those words, right? So yes. what I what I tell guys to do is, yeah, it's good to have a location bugle. It's good to have a cow call. There is no perfect bugle. Uh, and what I tell guys to do is this: listen to elk talking, and when you hear a sound, you can do it on YouTube, anyplace else. Try to just mimic that sound. Just mimic it. All right. You don't have to understand what that bull is saying, just like you singing that song. And what yes. that does for you is the best way, if, if you're out in the woods, is if you want to make sure that you're not doing something out of line, you're not, you know, is, you know, if I walked up to you and you didn't speak English and, and I said to you, Luis, hey, bud, hi, what are you going to do? Raise hey, my bud. hand and say, hey, hi. Hi, right? <laughs> Even if you have no clue, and we just had that, everything's copacetic, and we move on, right? So that that's the same thing. I think that's one of the best things, I think one of the best things you can do if you don't understand the language is learn to mimic the language. Just get so that you can make different sounds and copy the sounds that you're hearing. And if you're doing that, you are doing what your environment is doing. You're staying right yeah. there with that elk. Yeah, you know, the morning I killed that big bull, <clears throat> of course, we had a herd coming to us, and I got between him and uh, and several of his cows, and but he was talking the whole time coming mm-hmm. up. I mean, just bugling his head off. And as soon as I hit a little bit, a little location bugle, he got insistent that man, that ain't that ain't happening. Where'd you come from, right? I thought I had all these cows to myself, and he. he Everything he did, I stepped on and just got him, just mimicked everything he did. You put him in a lather, bro. Man, dude, he was wore out when he come up that hill, brother. (laughs) I mean, eyes bright as strawberries. I mean, he was, and he was 70 yards away from me and I could see his body language was just livid, you know. He came there urinating all over himself and, I mean, he was hot. So, For me, the herd was coming and we knew it. So I didn't really need to do anything other than a few little, I I guarantee if I'd have done that lost cow call, he lost his stuff and probably run me over. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it got him engaged to keep looking, see where I was at. And when he walked up there out in that opening, he was definitely looking to see where I was. And I'll tell all y'all out there, man, look, Elk Bros, we're coaches and I believe that our goal is to make you the best hunter possible, to give you the best opportunity for success, to help you be the best athlete you can out there and have the best skill sets. So I'll tell you all the resources. And if you want, if you want to, uh, 
to learn some of this language and just reproduce some of these, go out there and look up the Elk Nut and get the Elk Nut app. It is the best. It is inexpensive, and it is one of the best things for you to have to actually learn. Paul Medell is incredible. I love Paul. Paul is just, I mean, he's cut of the same cloth. as He's just a grinder man, and he loves animals. He's passionate about it, and he's got a great little app out there, too. man, and you can mm -hmm. learn from it. So, I, it, it, And, it, again, it depends on personality, right? I really enjoyed Chris Rowe because I think he does a really good job. He graphs the pitches, and he kind of explains and gets a little more in-depth. I love that stuff, but that's just me digging that type of stuff. Right, and that which is awesome. Chris <laughs> Rowe is totally awesome. Yeah. But the only thing I just don't want to do is for first-time guys is to go out there and then, you know, it's just like I said, it's like, you know, you go into a foreign country, and all of a sudden somebody speaks something to you, and you're like, oh, what did they say? What do I have to say? What I do back? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, it, it just becomes a little too much. Now, after a seasoned hunter and stuff yeah. like that, you start learning some of that, you know, I, I, you learn just those basics. Like you said, that location bugle, you, you learn, you don't even have to learn how to do a chuckle. It's just, you know, if you want to mimic one, awesome. It's great. You, you learn how to do a cow call, just a, a sweet mew. You learn how to, and I, the lost cow call is a good one to learn because it yes. comes in handy. But uh, I will just tell you that keep it simple and always remember it, to always lean on the lover side more than the fighter side when in doubt, because yeah. uh, that's always going to be a it's better way to go. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's just how. It's, especially if you're not worried about what type of elk you're going to kill. If you're just trying to get a an elk, then be a lover, man, because you're going to have cows come to you. If cows are coming to you, then uh, uh, bulls are going to come to you, and you're going to have people, and you're going to have other satellites in the wings. Okay, no doubt. All right. Um, the next one that uh, the last one that we're going to get in in our series is going to kind of conclude it. Had to do with uh, with scouting. And, and the reason I bring that up is because I, all year long, especially on Instagram, you're going to see, especially early, you're going to see trail cam picture after trail cam picture of these big bulls and beautiful bulls. And they're in this area. And then a lot of guys, you know, uh, they're asking people where are the, you know, trying to locate the bulls in the summertime, they go out and they, they, they scout and they find those bulls in the summertime. And, they think that those are the places to hunt because that's where the bulls are. And I'm not going to cover this too much because we're going to cover this in the EBD series, but I'm just going to tell y'all, um, we're going to cover that just a little bit more down when we get down here is that that's a huge mistake because where those animals are in the summertime, where you're getting them on those, uh, on those cams in the summer is not where they're going to be come September. It's not where they're going to be come October, November. All right. It's a, it's a totally, those elk uh, move to different places for different times of the year. And there's reasons behind it. Okay. So uh, it, it's awesome. And I'll tell you, uh, I, I've had a little bit of success killing elk. I have never owned a trail cam in my life. I've never placed one out. Uh, part of that is I couldn't afford it as well. I mean, it might've been cool to go out there and to get some pictures of animals, but, uh, it's, I've never had one. So neat tool, if you, if you're using them for the right things, they're a neat tool. Sure. Yeah. 
I actually saw a funny um, post on Instagram today that said, I'm not going to say an alien took all the elk away, <laughs> but an alien took all the elk away. Where are they at? Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and it's it sucks, man. When you think um, you're going into the right place where you've had these guys all summer long, you go in there and it's church mouse quiet, right? Uh, another thing I think is for especially guys coming out of state that do a lot of e scouting, and they haven't put foot on the ground there, and it's okay, you don't have to. But the thing that I want you that I think is a big mistake is them not understanding how much bigger and how much steeper that country is than when they're online scouting. Yeah. You and know, you can see it now through Onyx if you use the topo part of it. Really concentrate on the elevation curves for right. sure. Yeah. Well, and you know, you can actually do that because <clears throat> you can do it in Google Earth. You can do it in Onyx where you can put things in 3D mode, right? You bet. You bet. All I tell guys is, is just understand that you're a speck on that map. And that country's going to get a lot bigger than you think it is. And, you know, you look at it and you go, well, there's no water in the area. That's not always the case either. Sure. Um, there's a there's lot, lot of things of that, can you can't see. that you can't see. And mm -hmm. Whatever you see in that 3D, add a little percentage of steepness to that because, mm. you know, the way those topo maps go, they kind of round things off just a little bit, all yeah. right? Oh, believe me, how I know. <laughs> but I, I think that's just one is, <laughs> and you can get there and it can almost become overwhelming because you're like, oh, my God, you yeah. know, so just prepare yourself for that. And I, I'd say that the last thing that uh, – that when it comes to scouting is that when guys have found established roads and trails and stuff like that, that because they really don't know the country that good and they have looked online, they've got their online maps and they have their uh, forest maps and stuff like that. They, they're not fearless enough. They really get so that they constrict themselves to those particular trails because it's human nature. You know, you have mm -hmm. those fears of getting lost or getting someplace that you don't know. Again, the country got bigger. It got steeper. Well, I'm telling you, make sure that you have Onyx on your phone uh, yes. or if you use one of the other apps, there's some other, I think there's one called Base Hunt or Base Map out there. Hunt there's stand some, yeah. Hunt there's, there's different yeah. ones yeah. out there. But as long as you can use them offline and they're accurate and you can put down where your camp is, where your bike is, where your four-wheeler is, where your UTV is, whatever, and then that way you can go out there and get off the beaten path and be fearless yeah. out there because and, and confident that you can get back. Always have a compass with you, too, because if you start to lose battery and you can uh, also keep uh, things so that, you know, you can recharge your phone yes. if it starts to go out. Always put it in airplane mode. Uh, do, you know, get rid of stuff that you don't need. Turn off the Wi-Fi so it's not looking for it. All of that. Well, that's an excellent point, Joe. I think, I think it, a lot of people don't realize that you can put your phone in airplane mode and still that GPS function of the phone serves, uh, works on that, on, on that phone. And also, uh, especially with Onyx, you can pre-download the area which you're going to be hunting. So that way you still get the overlay of the actual um, 
uh, satellite yeah. view. And then the, what the phone does is simply puts the dot where you're at and where you're going right. over that layer that is pre-saved on your phone. So by p putting it on your airplane mode, you're not, uh, you know, you're, you're not, not going to disable the app. Right. And, uh, and, and another thing I want to, I'd love to get into this stuff when you're actually doing the e-scouting, mm -hmm. uh, help yourself with, you can help yourself with Google earth and also with Google maps, because sometimes the, the pictures, the satellite pictures are not fully updated in all of them. So if you have the three, you can kind of look at a certain area and then say, okay, we'll just kind of look at, and, and another cool thing that I know Google earth has is, and I don't know if Google map has it now is you can actually scroll back through uh, satellite pictures in History time picture. to kind of see, you know, understand maybe there's roads that are now hidden by trees that you can right. potentially identify and make sure you got the markings that you need on the onyx and even paths that you're willing to travel or areas that you're willing to travel. Because if you do that on your computer and actually do it on your onyx account, it automatically updates on your phone. Um, and then it's all on your phone when you go out there and right there at the touch of your fingers. Well, you're absolutely right, too, because in Google Maps, when you go into 3D and you use the fly feature, I, I love it, man. I start flying around through there. And mm -hmm. what it does when it has that satellite, you all of a sudden, these little benches start to really stick out mm -hmm. on these certain sides. And, mm -hmm. and, and you get a whole different feel for the country. Again, it's going to be a little steeper, a little deeper, and a little bigger, but it gives you a great feel for a lot of that and helps you to go, wow, I never, you know, because if you go down that fly, you start to notice like, well, that ridge in front of me is blocking, but there's a great basin that nobody's going to see right behind it. Mm -hmm. They could be at the top of this ridge and they're not going to see it right behind it. So uh, it, it's really you're right. It's great tools. Use multiple tools when e-scouting uh, to try to develop your plan, to develop your places, to get an idea, to start logging those in your mind or putting them down, like you said, on your Onyx so that you can go. Yeah, to and mark them as you go, too. As you're walking and you see landmarks and stuff like that, I'd like to every once in a while just take a, you know, stop for a second, make a mark and just kind of give myself some idea and reference of where things are. Well, it used to be hard because whenever you would mark a waypoint, all the waypoints looked the same. You had no idea what they were. Now in Onyx, man, you can put if it's a rub, if yes. it's water, if mm -hmm. it's feed, you know, you can put all these different things. You can down change the colors on the pins too and everything. Yeah. So. Exactly. So it's an incredible tool on there. Um, if you guys don't have it, uh, I'm insisting that you get it. All right. <laughs> Hey, it's it's a need it's not necessarily a want right no. i mean it's, just, it's no. a need i think yeah. it's necessary to have if you especially if you want to do it yourself and uh do these dy hunts diy hunts and stuff like that. well that's another way that uh, the cell phone has really yeah. lightened up equipment i mean now you have oh, your yeah. camera you got an additional flashlight you have a <laughs> magnifier if you need it you have your gps it just and a communication device i mean compass yeah. Yeah, everything all yeah, together. Everything. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's head down to our EBD segment, guys. That concludes that we're 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 out on the series. Part the series. three is done. Yeah. Now, does that mean that we won't be giving you more of stuff like that? Heck, no. Um, we're going to remember mistakes we've made along oh, the man. way, and uh, and you know, I was just listening to a podcast. Uh, that we did, and I was like, oh man, yeah, that's another thing. So there, there's always stuff. 
that, yeah. that we're going to come across and we're going to pass them on to you. The, the first thing that uh, I want to get into is I'm going to go right back to what we were talking about as far as um, the bulls and the, and the trail cams. I call it the trail cam blues where uh, uh, these guys are not finding bulls, you know, in the rut where they find them in the summer. And just remember when we're talking about our elk behavior database is that bulls inherently are either going to be with other bulls or by themselves. Mm, what? 90% of the time, you know, except for when they're young, when they're young, they're staying with the herd, they're staying yeah. with the cows and stuff like that up to a certain age. But once they become mature bulls, 90% of the time they're going to be with other bulls uh, or they're going to be by themselves. And that by themselves period is a, is a short time as well. Mm -hmm. uh, the boys like to run together. All right. And what happens is, is during the summertime when they're in their bachelor groups and these bachelor groups, uh, I went out and videotaped one last year, right in the spring guys had probably 20 bulls together in yeah. that bachelor group, not a single cow, all bulls. And they, the bulls and the cows are both doing something to prepare for two different things. Bulls have got to eat and eat and eat to prepare themselves to survive the rut. Yep. Because they have to get through the rut and then survive a winter. Cows are going to eat and eat and eat so that they can be healthy enough to give have a, a calf. have a healthy calf and survive the winter as well. And uh, the cow elk are going to stick to the best feed all the time, whether it be down in the summer grounds or they start moving up to their fall areas, moving into their winter grounds. So bulls during the summer are going to feed on the best grasses they can wherever they're happening uh, on their moisture. Their summer range is going to be different. They can go up in those higher areas or they can go down in moist areas and they can find those holes where they're comfortable being together. And that's when you're going to get them on all these trail cams on the, on, in certain places. But as soon as it gets, starts getting close to the rut, they start going to that transition. And where do they have to go? They're going to go where the cows are finding the best feed in September. And it's generally going to be the same area year after year. Now, can that change? Sure. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of guys in Colorado found out this year because there was a lot of moisture. Yep. And it kind of depends on how wet the year is, right, or how dry the year is. If also, you gotta, if you've had a burn in the area, oh, it can change it a lot. Most definitely. Definitely a burn. And I tell you what, those three and four year old burns are, mm -hmm. are awesome. Now, if it's a, a, a quick new burn, yep. then that's going to pull them in there within weeks. If it's just went over top of stuff, cause it's going to green everything up. But Joe, you remember a couple of years ago, we hunted that fresh burn and I mean, they were elk in it immediately and what, it ain't been six weeks since y'all had to burn. They, Maybe those, less than that. We went and spotted bull elk in that burn. 
two weeks after it was through. Yeah. And they were already finding because we had good moisture after it mm-hmm. after it mm-hmm. burned. And so we had grass sprouting and they were finding those that that new fresh grass that was where coming you killed up. where you killed your um, elk this year, uh, this last year. Right. Was in a burn area, too. Correct. And the oh, year yeah. before. Yeah. And the year before. Yeah. And it. If you have small burns are better than large burns. Large burns are generally hotter and they take a long time to recover over top of that. Uh, and those edges of those burns are really super, man, because, you know, that's where uh, it it started to to go out as it burned on those edges and it gets mm-hmm. a little bit thinner and you get real green on there and the animals have, they have cover and then they have feed. So, those are some really good areas. But remember that bulls will rut in the same rut staging areas year after year. And a lot of people think that that's because that's where the bull wants to be. And it's not necessarily because it's where the bull wants to be. Uh, Cows need nourishment. They're going to be at the best feed areas. And like Gilbert said, these critters are slaves to their bellies. Slaves to their bellies, man. You bet. Yeah. Just like us, we're all slaves to our bellies, man. At the end of the day, they they got to eat it to survive. They have to do it. So as soon as you change your focus on not worrying about where the bulls are all the time and worry about where you're finding the sign for the cows being there, eating, using travel corridors to and from, feed and water, you're going to start having a lot more success being in the elk. Right. Right. And, and where elk <clears throat> are um, – where there is a snow line, they're going to follow that snow line as it melts off because it's going to give you the best grass. That's why a lot of times a lot of those elk are really, really high. Um, uh, in canyon country, it depends on that. They could be lower down in the canyon where they have some, uh, and, and they'll end up moving up. Or they're up in the high country and they end up moving down into those feed areas up in that, uh, like I said, following the snow line until they got to move out. It, it's always interesting to compare different types of terrain from like Arizona to New Mexico to oh, Colorado yeah. to Wyoming because they give different features in that. But that's where they're going to be where the grass is best right away, okay, in their summer grounds. And then they're going to start moving to that fall area. Okay. Joe, how do you, uh, so, so there's that, right? There's the topography, the water, mm-hmm. the food and all that right. stuff, but there's also the sign, right? So, sure. and, and so how do you put it together? Right. I mean, obviously you gotta, you gotta have the two, you gotta have the sign, you have got the rubs, you gotta have the, the, the droppings you have, you know, shows signs of bedding. And then right. at the same time, you know, the nearby areas with food and water and stuff like that. I mean, you just, how do you put all that together? So um, really a lot of it happens uh, now it's by instinct, but if I, if I was just starting out and, and I was to, to try to figure where this is going to, where they're going to be, let's say uh, in September uh, is going to be different from where they're going to be in late October, mm-hmm. because as they're going to be as high as possible or as green as possible. And as snows start to happen, they've got to move down and they've got to get where the snow is thinner and they got to get on snow blown hills. So these are things that you, that you have to remember. Me, Luis, it's, it, for me, it's about finding droppings and smell. If I can smell them and there's droppings there that are fresh, I know I'm with them, right? I mean, and it's, if I can smell them, man, I can turn into that wind 
and I know they're there. I, I feel much better about what I got going on. It, and when you're around bulls that are rubbing, no doubt fresh rubs, just to, you know, the bulls have been in that area. But, man, when you see fresh cow sign where there's a lot of droppings and you smell them, man, that's a that's a whole different ball game. That lets me know I'm where I need to be. Luis, if I was to answer that, I would say during the summer, I would not be ever be concerned where the bulls are. I would go find the cows. I would find where the cow elk are and they're in those grounds. And because wherever they are is where the bulls are going to be. No doubt. All right. And the other thing I want to do is when I find those cows, I want to look around that area and I want to, if I'm scouting on the ground, I'm not worried necessarily about just looking and saying, oh, the cows are in this area because as soon as a rut starts happening and animals get split off, they're going to get pushed all over the place. What I'm looking for is in the area where I'm finding the cows, I'm looking for uh, rut staging areas. I'm looking for places where there's rubs from the previous year. And remember, guys, not all rubs are equal, okay? Uh, when you find old rubs that are up on the side in dark timber, there's 15, 20, 30 rubs around this bedding area up in the dark timber. Those are pre-rut rubs. Those are bulls rubbing velvet off their horns. They're getting their neck ready. They're starting to do things with each other, horsing around, okay? When you see those big rubs, those thick, tall rubs on trees in the forest, in the forest slopes and that dark timber on those hillside benches, those are from bulls rubbing their velvet. Now, remember where that location is because if you're hunting a, an early August hunt, right. you can peg those bulls there, right? Uh, because those bulls are in, they're still in a habit of where they want to bed, where they're eating, where they're drinking yeah. because yeah. they don't have anything taking them off of that. They feel secure in that. Mm -hmm. But uh, the type of rubs that I'm looking for is I'm looking for blown up saplings, those three to seven foot saplings, those juniper trees, those jack pines that, that are friggin' just tore up halfway down. They're raked. They're on the edges of meadows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're on the edges of meadows. They're in transition areas from bedding to meadows, uh, those corridors like that. When I find those saplings that are kind of like one here, another one down the way there, another one leading because they're traveling, now I'm in a rut staging area because this bull is a bull that's been displaying for cows. This is a bull that is in those areas where, you know, he's pissed off when he's hearing other bulls and he just goes and blows up a tree in there. So, I, that's the best way I could could tell you as far as that is you find those travel corridors, you find that rut sign from them bulls uh, with cows or bulls trying to attract cows during the rut the previous year because it's a good chance they're going to be back in those types. Oh, that's areas. really good stuff, and I think you know what you're saying makes extreme sense with regards to when I think the time of the year and their cycle of you know the pre the during the rut and the after the rut you know changes their locations and the signs that you need to use in order to kind of find yourself in the best position it, it, i i think that answered a lot of the questions i had in my mind for sure well if i'm a rifle hunter and i'm hunting in late october and november 
I've got a totally different thing on my mind because now I'm trying to find those areas that have got all, like Gilbert talked about, all those old droppings on those hillsides and in mm-hmm. those bottoms mm-hmm. from where they have just winter fed year after year going to those best grass areas. Uh, you're looking for those uh, southern slopes that are blown off. You're looking for those grass bottoms with those canyons that kind of feed off of that in the bottom where they can be a little secluded inside there. Once they start feeding back again in their bachelor groups, because there is a period, y'all, and there's a lot of hunts that are in this period when it is the toughest time to get a good bull. And that's that post-rut after those bulls split off those big bulls split off. Now you can get a satellite that's still with the herd and they're still sounding off sometimes until November, December. But those big bulls, if that's what you're hunting, they're diving off in recovery mode, man. They're just going off in a hole and they're just going to get in. If you want to find them, you find you a hole that you're going, God dang, I ain't going down in there that has a bench down in it and it has water within four to 800 yards. And you'll start locating those. If it is the deepest, nastiest spot that uh, you don't want to go, there's a good chance there's a big bull in it as long as he's got feed and he's got some water around there. Good stuff, okay? Joe. Well, that I think good... that's uh, that's our EBD series tonight. Fantastic information. I know, you know, our listeners out there are all wanting to, you know, all wanting to understand those three phases you know, pre, pre rut and then post, I mean, those phases are huge for us, especially us bow hunters in understanding where we need to be, you know, right. and where we need to put our boots on the ground. But I think more than anything, guys just got to understand that you use all your senses when you're doing your scouting. And man, I yes. use mine. I think I use my nose more than anything, Joe. Yep. I've learned that, man, those critters put off a cr- incredible aroma, if I will. Yeah. Uh, and man, you just can't go wrong. They won't leave that aroma uh, strong if they're not close by, you know. Right. Um, and, and, and I'll tell and, you to that, Gilbert, man, when you're doing that and you're going through areas, walk crosswind, not into right. the wind, that's you right. know, and you're going to cover more scent ground that way. No doubt. No doubt. And it's hard. It's hard to actually use the the smell, the sense of smell when you're behind Joe after he's eaten Manano's <laughs> meal. <laughs> oh, oh my god. I had Lord. to throw that one in there, Joe. Ooh, that's, that's pretty smart. bad. <laughs> oh, boys. <laughs> Close this out, Gilbert, before hey, he gets going. <laughs> guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review. Please. Please do that. You have to go to Apple Podcast or iTunes to review us. You can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. If you want your question, uh, you know, aired on our show, please send a question to info at elkbros.com. That's Most definitely. At elkbros.com. What a show this week. And as I say every week, husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands, hug your babies, and keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Peace, peace. Thank you.